You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing this morning? So good to be uh, with you here at church. My name is Cam Daly. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, yeah, we have been in a series over the last few weeks uh, called Vision. Uh, And one of the things about vision is this, is that vision is someone's ability to see just beyond the horizon and then help people see what they see. Uh, And so we as a church have spent some time uh, amongst our leaders, leaders and elders and all that kind of stuff, really thinking about who are we as a church? Who do we want to be? Who do we want to become? Uh, And so even if you've been here for a long time at CA, maybe you've heard some of this stuff before, but the truth is, is this, is that vision leaks. Vision leaks. Uh, If we don't continually cast vision, if we don't continually share with others uh, about where we're going and where we're heading, we just tend to forget. We tend to forget. And it happens time and time again. Now, Mind you, there's also tons of new people here as well. Even today, new people walking in the door who have never been here. And so today is an opportunity as you're checking this out and considering whether maybe you want to make this your church home. Who are we as a church? Well, we have four statements we want to focus in on this fall. Uh, And those are mission, formation, presence, and generosity. Uh, More specifically, uh, when it comes to mission, that we would be a people joining in his mission. And when we talk about his, we're talking about God's mission. Uh, So we'd be a people joining in that mission that he has, the great commission. Uh, Formation, that we'd be a people who are formed in his image. Presence, that we would be a people who are marked by his presence. And finally, generosity, that we would be a people of extravagant generosity. We'd be a people who reflect his generosity. So we've covered the first two, okay? So if you missed the first two, you missed it. You listen to the podcast or something like that. Uh, but today we are in the third week where we're talking about presence, that we would be a people marked by his presence. And of course, his, as I've already stated, is God's presence. So we would be a people who it's just noticeable that God's presence is with us and in us and in our lives. That when people interact with us, connect with us and talk with us, when people see our lives, they will notice that there is something different about us. There is someone different who is with us, that God is with us. And here's the amazing uh, reality, okay? If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, now if you don't, you're totally welcome here, FYI. I remember being in your seat, sitting there, inquiring, checking out Christianity. Uh, And so you are totally welcome to come along for the ride. But specifically talking about those of you who have put your faith in Jesus Christ, here's the amazing thing. You are already marked by his presence. You already are. Uh, you don't, there's nothing else that you, you need to do in order to receive the person in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 1. He says this in verse 13, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You've been marked by his presence, the Holy Spirit. This is a seal and a guarantee. 
The seal here is referring to uh, monarchs or lords or ladies or earls or those kind of things. When they would send out a piece of mail or parchment that they wanted to be sealed, they'd put wax and they would use their signet ring to seal it uh, with their mark, knowing who it came from and knowing that it had not been opened before it arrived to the person it was supposed to arrive to. This is the language that Paul is using here is that you have been sealed. You have been marked with his insignia. You've been marked with his presence. Now it's not just a sign or a symbol. It is a person. The person of the Holy Spirit of God has come and made your heart his home. This is not the right lighting. Uh, it's a... Uh, <laughs> It's the new one. Yes, this is it. Perfect. Thank you. I'm very like specific about these kind of things. I was like, I'm just, I'm going to just mention something. But uh, <laughs> you've been marked with his presence, the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about a force. We're not talking about some, you know, uh, the universe, something that is uh, not in embodied, not a person. We're talking about a personal person, the very person of God who has made your heart his home, which is totally bizarre if you think about it, that God changed his home or his address from heaven and not just to earth in a temple, but from a temple or a church to within you. This is why uh, the scriptures will say, wherever you go, God's presence is with you. This is why Jesus promised, I am with you always to the very end of the age. You've been marked by his presence, his Holy Spirit. It's an incredible thing. And so we don't just believe in a deistic God who is far away, but rather a God who is close, closer than we think. Close as the breath in our lungs. He is here and you carry him with you wherever you go. If you have placed your faith in Jesus and if you place your faith in Jesus, that reality can be yours as well. You know, I remember hearing this story uh, back in the last Olympics and they were talking about, and you've probably, if you've been around for a while, you might have heard me tell this story before, but they were talking about uh, how they transferred the Olympic flame from Greece to wherever the host city is. And they talk about this entire ordeal where they get the flame, they put it into a lantern, they bring it into a vehicle. The vehicle is accompanied by police and military. It gets onto a plane which is flanked by uh, military jets and it's just this really an insane operation. And they were interviewing the guy saying, why is it that you guys are doing this for fire, right? And the man replied, to us, this flame, it's as if the monarch, it's as if the king or queen was in that vehicle. And as I was listening to this, it struck me, that is just fire, okay? It is just fire. But here's your reality and my reality. We actually genuinely carry within us the monarch, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the very person and presence of God within us wherever we go. And I think if we began to think about things that way, it would change our reality. It would change the way that we thought about our lives. And now here is the amazing part, is that the spirit doesn't just live and dwell within us. But we've also been invited to have relationship with God, to actually know him and for him to know us, to walk with him and talk with him, to, to spend time with him, to have relationship with the living God. Yes, you heard me right. That is what we've been invited into. Here's what Jesus says in, uh, in John. 
He says, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he he, uh, bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The actual bearing of fruit in our life comes from an abiding relationship with God. And Jesus has invited us into this. Now, it's interesting, as a a card-bearing member of uh, Scots Nation, I'm, you know, Scottish ancestry, my dad was born in Dundee, the whole thing, is when I see that word abide, I think of a different word. Because bide in Scots, the actual Scots language, bide, means to live. It means live. And so there's these old Scottish songs uh, where they'll use this word. I remember my grand singing it or whatever and that kind of thing. But it does change the way we think about this passage because abide it's it's a little little bit obscure you might have to get out a dictionary to really think about what it truly means to abide but to live I think we all understand Jesus says live in me as I live in you and as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it lives in the vine neither can you unless you live in me I am the vine you are the branches whoever lives in me and I in him he will bear much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing We have been invited to do life with God, with the living God. Incredible. And for those of you who, you know, are married or have done this before, when you move in with someone, you choose to do life with them, you spend time with them, you, you are eating with them and talking with them and planning your schedule with them and you're relaxing with them and you're, you're, you're spending your quiet time with them. All of these things. To live with someone is to actually, it's, it's one of the deepest forms of connection and relationship that we can have. And this is what God is inviting us into, to actually to do life with him, to know him. To remain, another translation says, to stay, to live in his presence. Our heart as a church is this, is that we would be a people who are marked by his presence, that we would do life with the living God. God is inviting you and me, already marked by the Spirit, to have this kind of relationship with him, to do life together. And a Christian faith, devoid of a relationship with God, is completely missing the point. Okay, the Christian faith devoid of a personal relationship with the living God is completely missing the point. Like this story, okay? So I was the other day, there's an A&W right in front of my building that I go to far too often, okay? Uh, And they send me coupons all the time. It's just a bad, bad, you know, scenario. Uh, And I can walk there. I'm not joking. My front door, probably like 41 seconds. I am there, okay? And I'm ready to order, you know, just two team burgers for $11.99, right? So it's like... But I was there, and the person in front of me was placing their order. And they were like, and they had like kind of a southern accent. Now, I don't think there's too many southern people here, so if I try to do it, it won't be that offensive. So he's like, she was like, you know, I'd like a, a mama burger. Hold the burg, right? And I was like, what? And so then all of a sudden, the lady in there, she's like, she's like, she's like so you want a mama, mama burger? She's like, yeah, hold the burg, right? She's like, what do you mean hold the burg, right? She's like, hold the burger. I don't want the burger, just the mama burger, okay? Like the ketchup, the mustard, the, and she's listing off everything. The employee was just staring at her like super confused. Like, so you want bread with 
condiments and onions and like, do you want the cheese? Yeah, I want the cheese. So you want like basically a grilled cheese. Okay, yeah, that's what, and they're having this whole dialogue, right? And I thought to myself, I was like, this is missing the point of the burger, right? It is called a burger, <laughs> and the purpose of eating a burger is that there is a delicious meat patty inside. And even for those of you who are vegetarians or vegans, you understand this and get this, because somebody who was, you know, inv invented Beyond Meat, right? So it's like, it's like even, even if you're not going to get a beef patty, you still need a patty of some sort made out of I don't know what, right, to resemble a meat patty. <laughs> Here's the point. <laughs> is that Christianity without a relationship with God is like ordering a burger without the burger, right? Uh, it just doesn't make sense. We were made to be a people marked by his presence. And our God went to all of this trouble coming from heaven to earth to come among us, to dwell with us, to share the good news of the gospel. Why? Not just to save us eternally, but to know us in this moment, to actually have relationship with you and me. But I think, here's what I think, I would have experienced as Christians, is we far too often are the type of people, when it comes to our faith, that we're kind of hold the berg kind of people, right? It's like, I, yeah, I'm just good with all the fixings. The bun, the cheese, all that kind of stuff. But like, ah, you know, the weird stuff. Praying, you know, having a relationship with God, him talking to me, right? Like, I don't want any of that. That's weird. But friends, it's missing the point. <laughs> the living God wants to know you. So much so, he sent his son in human form to speak a language that we understand, to walk among us, to demonstrate to us his great love for us. Why? So he could know you and have relationship with you, that you could have an abiding relationship with God. This is our heartbeat as a church. We want you to be people, a people, who are marked by his presence that actually know God, both in your daily lives, but experiencing him in our services as well. Here's our dream, okay? This is our dream, our vision. Each time we gather, people would experience the tangible presence of Jesus in our worship services and community groups. All people who attend CA Church would have an abiding relationship with Christ in their day-to-day -day lives. This is our hope, both in our services. We pray that this would be a time that you'd be filled up, that you'd encounter God, that you'd experience him. And then you'd be sent out. And in your daily lives, you would walk with him as well. Now, I want to acknowledge this is challenging. This is challenging to do. In fact, I think there's a lot of things in our world that are fighting for our attention and fighting... Um, that we would, would not be in an abiding relationship with the living God, but rather with the world. We'd be so distracted over here that we wouldn't get to know him. There's, there's a number of, of different hindrances, and many have noted that the modern world is a virtual conspiracy against the interior life. And I think you would agree. There's these hindrances. There's a few of them that I want to share with us this morning. The first is hurry. The second is self-reliance. And the last one is cynicism. And I think these things get in the way from us having this kind of relationship with God. The first one being hurry. I think that we all recognize, although we recognize our need for God, 
We often live lives that are so busy, so hurried, so distracted that we have hardly have time to notice him. We constantly have AirPods in our ears or devices in our hands or notifications and pings, TV just on in general as white noise, music playing, mind racing, running from an appointment to an appointment, Netflix binging, Apple Watch vibrating, uh, rush hour traffic, noise. There's just so much that's competing and fighting. And for those of you who are parents, little ones who are constantly pulling on you and, you know, trying to grab your attention, there's just so much hurry. There's so much busyness. And I believe that this is one of the things that gets in the way of us having this kind of relationship with God. John Mark Comer, uh, who's a pastor and author, uh, he wrote the, the, the book, what is it again? The Relentless uh, Elimination of Hurry. Thank you. I knew, I knew it was well, well enough known that you guys would know it. Uh, yeah, and uh, he says this. He says, to walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and spoils our relationship with God. It never advances it. It never advances it. It says, you want to experience God's presence you want to invest in your relationship with him. You got to slow down, put away the distractions and make space because we live at such a high pace, in such a high pace world, probably faster than any time, you know, letter, like message, boom, it's sent, it's received. Back in the day, they used to have to write a letter. It would take like a couple weeks, right? And then you would write it again. It would send back. It was just, life was not as busy, but it is busy. It is incredibly hurried now. And so if we want to know Jesus in this kind of way, we have to slow down. We have to ruthlessly eliminate hurry in our life. What does this look like for you? Potentially, it's a daily time. And I'm not even dictating what, how much time that might be. But a time that is set apart in your daily rhythms to connect with God, whether that's just to say a prayer or read the scripture of the day. Maybe for some of you, it might be two minutes and others, it might be 20 minutes or somewhere in between or even longer. But it's a time that we're setting apart in our rhythms, in our schedule to say, God, I want to prioritize you. I want to put you first. This might look like in your personal life, actually taking a Sabbath. Okay, taking a day off every week. Can you imagine, right? Uh, where you just set aside a day where you say, I'm not going to work. For me, it is Mondays. After Sunday, I, you know, go home. I have a holy nap and that usually extends right into the morning, right? And, uh, but then I'll usually take my dog for a walk and go to coffee and grab a coffee and then walk down to the pier and just try to spend some intentional time with the Lord and, and just not touch my phones or my email. Some of you are so offended. I don't answer, didn't answer your email on Monday. I was off, right? And I'm setting it apart. Even if I see it come in, okay, I'm going to get that to that tomorrow. You know, it was interesting. Uh, actually, I just saw a study, and this is just side notes coming into my brain right now. But they were just saying that the human being really can't, uh, like their productivity does not go up after 50 hours of work. Okay, so after 50 hours of work, which is interesting because that's pretty much a six-day work week, which is interesting because it's God's original design for humanity that we'd work six days and we'd take a day off. And so some of you think you're really like, you're getting her done working 70 hours, but the study would say is that actually your productivity just drops after, after 50 or 55 hours. And so there's no point. Just rest. Receive. Be restored. 
So this is important for us uh, that we would find time daily to connect with the Lord, to set apart a day for the Lord. And I know this is easier said than done. But it's through practices like this that we actually make space to actually get to know our roommate, the Holy Spirit, who for many of us, we never talk to. (laughs) Any of you guys have a roommate like that in college or something like that? They had like their room, their space, you know, but you barely like talk to each other. It was like, hey, hi, you know, you're just kind of doing your own thing, writing your papers, going from We don't want God to be a roommate like that, right? (laughs) Where we're just kind of ignoring him. He's kind of there, but yeah, we don't really spend time. We don't interact. We don't make meals together. God wants to know us. And in order to do that, we have to set aside space for him. But we also want to do that in a church setting. And so this is why we encourage you to choose to come to church on a weekly basis. It's setting aside a time on a Sunday, which maybe is your Sabbath already, to just say, I'm setting aside this time, God, to connect with you and your people, to hear from you, to be filled up. I think it's so, so important. This is why we started our service with saying, hey, why don't you just turn off your devices or put them on do not disturb. Let's set aside this hour and a bit that we have together for God. But there's a second thing that is a hindrance to us connecting with God. And that thing is self-sufficiency or self-reliance. In the West, I think this is a challenge for many of us. We become so individualistic, so self-sufficient, so self-reliant. We've created a society, a country, where there's a lot of stability and accessibility to the things that we need. And so whether that's food or clothing or medicine or healthcare or retirement funds or whatever it might be, it's not a perfect system, but we have created a system in which we can be pretty self-reliant and not need divine assistance in our day-to-day life. And the only time we do reach out to God is when something really hits the fan that's beyond, you know, uh, maybe our healthcare's ability, our healthcare system's ability, our earning ability or whatever it might be. And then we reach out to God. But self-reliance or self-sufficiency is actually the original lie that we believed. Going all the way back to the garden. To be self-reliant or self-sufficient, the, the lie that we can do that is a result of the fall. When we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it wasn't that we just gained, it wasn't that we gained knowledge. It's kind of a confusing title for this tree. But actually, as we ate from that fruit, we were believing the lie that we could be self-sufficient, that we could actually do things apart from God's will and apart from God's word and apart from him. And because we took that step and we ate from that fruit, when we choose to be self-reliant and say, I'm going to do this on my own, We are doing the very same thing that they did in the very beginning. And the result is the same for us as well. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, out of the presence of God because of this action. When we choose self-reliance or self-sufficiency, we too are, rather than, than us being kicked out of the garden, we're kicking God out from our reality. The reason this is a myth is because All of life is from God. As Acts chapter 17 says, in him we live and move and have our being. Every breath is from him. The air that is in your lungs, the beat that is in your heart, the food that was on your plate, the scripture is very clear that all of this comes from him. He is the one right now who is holding all things together according to Colossians. 
This universe right now, the reason it is not imploding or exploding is because he has perfectly tuned all of the natural universe and all of the natural laws in order to sustain life so that we can go for a walk on the shoreline trail and bird watch, right? Like this is... God is the one who is sustaining all things. And so the belief that I can be self-reliant or self-sufficient apart from him is a complete myth. We have to put that from our minds. One of the practices that pushes back or combats self-sufficiency is prayer. Prayer uh, promotes humility. It's acknowledging our dependence on God. Through prayer, you are surrendering control. You are seeking guidance. Through prayer, you are asking God for provision. Through prayer, you are expressing gratitude, recognizing He is the giver of good things. Acknowledging that you are not the ultimate source of the good things in your life, but He is. Through prayer, it also emphasizes our need for community as we bring our request to somebody in our community or at the front in the prayer time after the service. What we are saying is that I can't do this on my own. I need others interceding on my behalf. I need others lifting me up in prayer. And so we invite you to participate in these moments in your, in your life. These simple prayers throughout your day, but also to join us in prayer when we do corporate prayer moments, when we do personal, invite people for personal prayer in the front to take advantage of these moments. It pushes back against the lie of self-sufficiency where we are just saying, God, you are God and I am not. The second practice is this, is the practice of communion. The Lord on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and juice and instructed us to eat and drink this in remembrance of him. But it's more than just remembering. I like the way that James Boyce puts it. He says this, at the heart of the present significance of the Lord's Supper is our communion or fellowship with Christ. Hence the term communion or communion service. In coming to this service, the believer comes to meet with Christ and have fellowship with him, to have a meal with him at his invitation. This is what he invited us to do every time. The church gathers together, take the bread, take the juice, and do this remembrance to me. This is why Rail City, we do it every single week. Because Jesus has instructed us to do so, and it's actually a moment where we can connect with the living God and have a meal with him. It's also a, a moment where we can confess before God, admitting our failures and shortcomings, our error and wrong before a holy God. Communion is also about receiving, receiving what you cannot access without God. Forgiveness, mercy, grace, healing. This is why we do communion every week. And it pushes back against this myth that I can do life without God. As we come to the table, we are recognizing our absolute dependence upon God to receive mercy and grace and forgiveness for our error, for our wrong. But it's more than just a confessional moment with some ambiguous figure behind a screen. Maybe some of you who are brought up in the, the Catholic tradition. It's actually a moment to have a face-to-face -face encounter with the living God. With the living God. To eat with him and to thank him for who he is and for what he's done. The last hindrance cynicism. We are, we live in a very skeptical society. We are suspicious of authority, of institutions, of each other. Quick story, real quick. It was like, uh, Emmy, my daughter just turned three and we were having a birthday party for her at, uh, at a camp. 
It's like a Christian camp, okay? So you just, you would think there was like the kumbaya vibes and all that kind of stuff. But we start walking around with Emmy to invite kids to come to her birthday party. And just like the suspicion on people's faces. I'm like, I just want your kid to come and wear a party hat, sing happy birthday and eat some cake. Okay, that's it, right? And, but just the suspicion that people had, ah, where, where is it going to be? Are you, um, I, I'm not sure. You know, it's like this whole thing. We are a suspicious society of each other of institutions, of authority. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of reason for suspicion and cynicism. But the difficult thing is, is that when this overflows into our faith and our relationship with God, and we take our skepticism and our, our cynicism and we apply it to our faith, we allow naturalism to grip our mind, and it's hard to believe uh, and trust in God. Skepticism can be like a wall in our mind that stops us from truly experiencing the presence of God. It holds us back from relationship, including our relationship with God. Think about this. Skepticism impedes trust, right? Cynicism impedes trust, or it's a lack of trust. And trust is the basis of relationship, all relationships. And if you want a relationship with God, you have to trust. And all relationships take risk. And chance. All relationships have the propensity for both healing, as Sam said last week, and difficulty and pain. If we are going to have this kind of relationship with God, we have to put aside our skepticism and our cynicism when it comes to him and to take a risk. This might look like in worship, singing, right? Or lifting your hands. This might look like praying and asking God, a question and waiting and listening just to see what you hear. This might look like when you have that little prompt, hey, I should talk to that person to step out and actually do it. If we are to have this beautiful relationship that God is offering us with, the with, with him, the living God, we have to put aside our cynicism. I mentioned already we do this corporately through the practice of worship. There's something about raising your voice or lifting your hands or hearing the worship leaders sing truths over you. Worship is a crucial aspect of our connection with God. Bob Coughlin, the author of the book, Worship Matters, communicates. Uh, he says uh, how, how worship on Sundays is a profound and pur purposeful act. Summarizes his thoughts in his book. He says this, firstly, it matters to God because it acknowledges his ultimate worthiness of all worship. Secondly, it's significant for the individual because worshiping God is the fundal, fundamental reason for your existence. It's one of the fundamental reasons for your existence to bring glory to God. Thirdly, it creates space for people to experience the presence and greatness of God. Lastly, during passionate times of worship on a Sunday, it's meant to actually flow from and lead to passionate lives devoted to glorifying Jesus. In essence, worship on Sunday serves as a collective expression of our purpose, acknowledging God's greatness, fostering a deeper connection to him that extends beyond our church service and into our daily lives. We begin our worship on the first day of the week, Sunday, and it flows into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Worship battles the rampant cynicism in our hearts as through songs we declare our trust in God our hope in him, our belief that with him we can overcome. These songs serve as a counter-narrative 
reminding people that there is something greater to believe in and to look forward to beyond the challenges of the present. It pushes back against our cynicism in these ways. And this is why we spend a third of our service singing and worshiping together. If we are to be a people marked by his presence, our participation in personal spiritual practices and communal practices in the setting of the church, it is so crucial. We as a church dream and envision that we would be a people like this. And so here's what we're going to do now. We're going to do some of those practices. Nothing crazy or out of the ordinary, uh, but, but just normal things that we would do in a service, but with these new mindsets that we've heard here today. So I'm going to invite up the band. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash railcity to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.